Before we go to God's word, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, I ask you just to take the words that you have led, the scriptures that you have taken my mind and my heart to, and this very special day, Lord, I pray that you will make verses and events in your life real to us, even though we may have talked about them so many times, Father. I pray for a newness to wash over us of the truth of this Palm Sunday, of what the triumphal entry meant to us, the challenge of this event. God, I look forward to you doing something special through your word this morning. In thy name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, it says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took the branches of the palm trees and they went out to meet him and they began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that he had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, today begins the season that we focus on the last days of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's it's called the Holy Week. Um, Today is Palm Sunday. In four days will be the Last Supper. In five days will be Good Friday. And then in seven days will be Easter Sunday. And each one of these days represents a very special event at the close of Christ's ministry. The the Last Supper represents Christ as the fulfillment of the Passover that they have been celebrating for thousands of years. It's what we observe in the communion service. The next day on Good Friday, we focus on the crucifixion of our Savior who was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes, we are healed. And then next Sunday, Easter, it's that glorious resurrection, the remembrance of Christ our Savior, alive, back from the dead, the first fruits guaranteeing what is to come of his children. But today, today is Palm Sunday, the day in which Christ officially presents himself to Israel as their Messiah. Now the Hebrew word is Messiah. When it's translated in the Greek, it's called Christos, or the Christ. Jesus, the anointed one, is what it means. Jesus, the Savior. And the three-and-a-half-year ministry of Jesus had all been pointing to this one day. It's all been boiling down to this one day. You see, Christ didn't begin his ministry 
by announcing who he was. He didn't come on the scene and say, I am God's son. I am your Messiah, the Christos. And then, you know, kind of prove who he was after that. No, actually, he did the exact opposite. He, he first proved who he was before ultimately he offered himself to his people as their Messiah. If you remember very early on in his ministry, um, you know, when the demons would be cast out and they would proclaim who he was, he would silence them. He even put restraints on his disciples as they, you know, walked with him. He began to discern who he was. He did all of this, proving who he was, the Messiah, the Christos. He fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. He performed miracles, healings that challenged the nation to to discern who is he from, where did he come from. Christ demonstrated he was their Messiah by his wisdom, by his authority, by his love, by his compassion, by his mercy, by his forgiveness. Matter of fact, at one point, when Christ questioned his disciples about who he was, and they proclaimed the Messiah, and, and others were leaving, but they wouldn't leave. They said, to, they said to him, said, if it's not you, then who? I mean, all that you've done, all of your authority, who you are, if it is not you, then who? For three and a half years. And it was all snowballing down to this one glorious moment that he would stand before his nation having revealed himself as their Messiah, their deliverer, and now the choice was theirs. Would they accept him or would they reject him? Now there was another movement snowballing during that same three and a half years, a movement to deny Christ his throne. Matter of fact, it started all the way back with John the Baptist. Remember, he he was the forerunner of Christ. And he said, repent, for the the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And from the very beginning, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were uneasy about that message and about what was to come. Satan tried to stop Christ during his 40-day fast, his temptation in the wilderness, tried to get him to to short-circuit God's plan. Often the religious leaders, they would try and challenge Christ's teaching or, or accuse him of, of being sacrilegious to the, to the Sabbath or, or to God the Father. Matter of fact, on one occasion, when the people went directly to the Pharisees and they asked this question, they said, how can he do these sorts of miracles if he is not of God? Remember what their answer was? They ascribed his work to Beelzebub, to 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 Satan. By the end of Christ's ministry, the movement to get rid of Christ was coming to a climax as Christ openly called the Pharisees, he called them hypocrites, white-walled sepulchers. You know, the the outside, they seemed to be religious, they seemed to be clean, but, but inwardly, they were filthy, they were rotting. And in the scripture we read, it seems the final blow came after Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. I mean, Lazarus was a well-known figure, and a miracle of such magnitude, I mean, it would surely turn 
everybody to Christ. I mean, it says that so many people came just to see Lazarus, you know, as well as to see Christ. It says in John chapter 11, verse 45 through 48, it says, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him, that what he had done is referring to the resurrection of Lazarus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Therefore, the chief priests <coughs> excuse me, and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You see, Christ presenting himself as the Messiah and, and the Sanhedrin's plan to do away with Christ, they were on a collision course and they met on Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry. In John eleven fifty five. 55, it says, now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? Will he not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. I mean, the whole town, the whole countryside was just buzzing with anticipation. I mean, they knew how the, the Pharisees, their religious leaders felt about Christ. They'd heard so much about him. Would he come? Would he, would he force the moment? You know, I get a feeling as you, as you put all these scriptures together, I kind of get a feeling that most of the Jews were persuaded by their leaders that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. But I think they took great delight in seeing those leaders discomfited by Christ. Because remember, they had put such heavy burdens on them, and, and Jesus just seemed to be able to put them in their place. And so they welcomed the conflict, the conflict that was sure to come if Jesus came to attend the Passover feast. And folks, they would not be disappointed. I want to read for you once again, the account of the triumphal entry, but uh, the Apostle Luke adds some details that uh, John uh, doesn't necessarily include. And so let me read those, that, that story for you again as Luke records it. In Luke chapter 19, verse 28, he said, after he had said these things, he was going ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their coats on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. As he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles 
which they have seen, shouting, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the very stones will cry out. So thus began a procession that would take Jesus from Bethany, which is a small village outside of Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives, through the Kindred Valley, and up into the city of Jerusalem. Now the road which Jesus took to Jerusalem from, from Bethany, it would have been hilly, and Christ would have been climbing the backside of the Mount of Olives. And, and so the whole city of Jerusalem would have pretty much been hidden from his view until he got to the very top of it, and, and there's kind of a, it, it plateaus, there's a smooth surface up there. And suddenly, as you, you crest the Mount of Olives, suddenly Jerusalem is arrayed in all of its glory. I mean, you've got Solomon's temple, the Parthenon, the temple courts, the beautiful gardens. Israel arrayed is the most beautiful sight. I've had the opportunity to, to be at Israel a number of times, and even today, when you stand out on the Mount of Olives and you look at that city, because it just kind of stands up as a, it's kind of a crown jewel of God, it is an impressive sight for anybody who sees it. But there was something else that met Christ that never met any of the travelers before him or ever met any since him. When descending that last ridge, he is met by millions of Jews, Jews that were camped out on the side of Jerusalem awaiting the Passover feast. These Jews, they saw Christ. And you can just imagine like a wave you know, it begins to spread the, you know, as they've all been wondering, is he going to show up? And suddenly there he is, and the ones closest to him, you know, they begin speaking, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now it means. Palm branches, it said, that's why we call it Palm Sunday. The palm was a, a symbol of victory. Palm branches were, were, were taken off of trees and laid down before him, kind of laying out the, the red carpet for him. For many, it would have been the first glimpse that they had of Jesus Christ. And as that, that, that began to crescendo, as people began to take note and everyone began to look out at the top of the Mount of Olives, I mean, the, the cry must have been deafening. I mean, just think about, you know, we've got millions of Jews here descending upon the city. And they're screaming, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, phrases like the kingdom of our father David, the son of David. All these statements that you read in the Gospels that they, they shouted at Jesus, they all indicate that the multitude, God's people as he calls them, that multitude knew that Jesus was presenting himself as the Messiah. They knew what this moment meant. They knew what Jesus was doing. They knew what that day meant. Shouts of joy throughout the hills, throughout the valleys. It became so loud that it says the, the Pharisees came to Christ and they said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You gotta, you gotta quiet them down. They, they, they don't know what they're saying. Oh, but they do know what they're saying. Matter of fact, Christ's answer said, If they would stop, nature would pick up their cry. The very stones would call out at the magnitude 
of this moment. So momentous was this occasion. I mean, even nature was in touch with what was happening right there, with what the Creator was doing for His people. But then Scripture, it, it tells about something that Christ did that no one would have anticipated or expected. I mean, think about this. In the, in the midst of all these people shouting and, and praising him, all this jubilant celebration, cries of victory. It says in Luke 19, verse 41, it says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it. I mean, those shouts... They must have been deafening to Christ's ears. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, but, but instead of getting all caught up in this enthusiasm, you know, this is his moment, you know, and just basking, you know, in the, in the shouts of praise. Christ, because he knows the hearts of men, he, he looks past their outward exuberance. And he sees a people that five days later will cry in an equally deafening tone, crucify him, crucify him. When the circumstances of their lives begin to change, suddenly their commitment began to change as well. And Jesus saw the hearts of the people. And and, it says he wept, in the Greek it literally translates, he wept bitterly. Verse 42, it goes on. So he saw the city, wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things that, which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. They missed it. God, God's son saw their hearts and saw their rejection. And he saw the destruction and the suffering that would come upon them because they rejected their deliverer. So what is Palm Sunday all about for us? What does it mean to us? Well, I think it really gives us a pause. It gives us a chance to, to have a sobering moment of reflection, you know, on a day like this. To ask ourselves that if Christ presented himself to us today as our Lord, as our King of our life, what would our cry be? What would we shout? I mean, if we had people here in the pews today, if he, if he just suddenly came in and we suddenly recognized him of who he was and he came down this aisle, what, what, would, your, what would my reaction be to him? I mean, we have, we have some great hymns. We'd probably break into song. Lead on, O King Eternal, all the way my Savior leads me. You know, nothing between my soul and my Savior. Praise the Lord. You know, we could bring out some of our, 
you know, uh, court, Christian courses, worship courses, all hail King Jesus we'd sing. Lord, I lift your name on high. And we sing them over and over every Sunday. And anyone who had ever gone to church or knew anything about the Bible would, would join in this deafening shout and cry if Jesus came here today. But if you would look into the Savior's face, I'm afraid we'd see a tear being shed for many of our lives. Lives that would turn and forsake the Lord later in life. That when circumstances began to change, so would their commitment to Christ. That's the challenge for us of Palm Sunday. That's the challenge that you know, this moment when Christ stood before his chosen people, the ones that he came to redeem, it challenges each and every one of us as well. You see, when Christ came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the skies were relevantly clear. You know, there were, there were millions and millions of Jews out there, even though, you know, the Pharisees had kind of put a, a bounty on his head. What were they going to do? I mean, the crowd, the throng of everybody praising him and it was so easy to freely identify with Jesus Christ at that moment because it was at no cost to them to claim the name of Christ they had nothing on the line you know in a big group it's so easy to, to, to you know follow the herd but all of that would soon change in the next five days, the excitement of Christ being there in Jerusalem at the Passover, it would begin to die down. Matter of fact, Christ would begin teaching them about what is involved in living every day your life for God. He'd talk about sacrifices. He'd talk about forsaking your life, taking up your cross, and following him. And interest, by the time you get five days later on Good Friday, interest had seriously been tamped down. I thought about this earlier today, and, you know, it's kind of like us every week, isn't it? We get together on Sunday morning with other believers, and, and there's just, just, it's just so easy to get caught up in the wonderful music and the worship and the praise and, and the word of God. Uh, but then, then we leave here, and we've got Tuesday, Monday, and Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and, man, by Friday, where's our faith? When we are challenged to stand for Christ or to forsake him, what's the choice that we make? It was easy on Sunday, wasn't it? But what do we do five days later on Friday? What do we do when there are no palm branches? What do we do when, when nobody is celebrating? What do we do when we see a world that is beating our Savior who is humiliating the creator of the world. And at that point, each of us is given a choice to make for Jesus Christ. And, and the, the cries are so deafening. It starts with a single voice. Crucify him. And we don't say it directly like that, but our actions do. You know, Soon one soul after another makes that choice. And the murmurs, you know, they grow into crescendo. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
As the world says, away with him. We don't want him you know, to, to be our king. We don't want him to be our savior. We don't want his restrictions upon our life. Think about it. Of the millions who praised his name five days earlier, there was only a handful of people who were there with him at the cross, dedicated, willing to identify with Jesus, even if it meant losing their own lives. So here is the message of Palm Sunday. It is for us to make no mistake that the Christ that Scripture calls us to accept within our hearts is not the Christ of Palm Sunday. When the skies are all clear, when everybody is exciting, when the crowds are shouting together with us, it's not necessarily the Christ that every Sunday morning when everybody you know, is, is, is pulling together. It's not that Christ. The Christ that we are called to accept, the Christ that we are called to identify is the Christ who five days later hangs bloodied and beaten on the cross, dying for our sins, rejected by mankind. That's where the balance of our soul is decided. At that moment, what do you do with Jesus Christ? What does he mean to you? You really can't tell much about your faith. Your faith in Christ when when everything is going well, when all is clear, when everyone around you keeps you pumped up for the Lord. Our faith is revealed as being weak, strong, or non-existent. When it's not popular, to identify with Jesus, whether it's at school or at your workplace or it's at a family gathering and, you know, things are going on around you that have nothing to do with your faith. When the skies darken, when no one else is standing, when those around you aren't pumping you up and pumping your relationship up, but people around you are challenging your values, when they're challenging your beliefs, when they're challenging the practice of your faith. And the world begins to chant that Jesus will not be king over us. It is at that point that we make a choice. Do you follow the crowd or do you make your stand at the cross of Jesus Christ? Now, I am told that the Jewish tradition that Palm Sunday, the day that Christ offered himself to the Jews, was also the day where they would go out and choose the Passover lamb. Choose the lamb that ultimately was going to be sacrificed and and the blood would be shed and it would be eaten in the Passover observance. And it'd be hard not to see the irony here. As they're out there searching for a Passover lamb, they missed the Passover lamb. They missed Jesus Christ, the one whom the prophets, they said in Isaiah 53, who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For we shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a shoot out of a dry ground. 
He has no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we would desire him. He's despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He is bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He is taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bared the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. You see, it's a good reminder this day. It is a good reminder for you and I to not become so focused on activities as limited as they may be during this Easter season and get you know, caught up like we do in Christmas and all the, the festivities and the celebration. It's a good reminder for us to use this time to focus my attention on, on Christ. Yes, celebrate Easter. Yes, celebrate that victory. And so today, we remember that this is the day that the Lord offered himself before Israel as her Lord and Savior. He was rejected then. The question for us is, what about today? His offer to you is to have your sins forgiven. He died for you. He died to offer you to be a child of his. And the question is, will you accept him? Will you begin a life of following Christ? The offer that he makes to each and every one of us is through the forgiveness of our sins, through his shed blood, that he will become the Lord of our lives.
Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That door that he's talking about there, that door is our hearts. And the question is, have we opened our heart to accept Jesus Christ today? I'm going to ask you if you would, just bow in prayer for me, with me. I, I, I just, I want you to search your hearts. I know this is a little awkward, you know, through in it, doing it through the computer and all these sorts of things. But folks, these are eternal decisions that are being made. If you can just block this all out for just a moment and just lean into this and search your heart. What Christ have you accepted? The one where everybody is celebrating, everybody is praising, or the one that even when the world is turning, shouting, crucify him, you will stand. Because he is your Lord and he is your Savior. So Father, I ask you, on behalf of anyone who is out there, Lord, his, his hearts are being opened to you. Maybe a heart that has never made that decision to take up the cross and follow you. Father, as that is done, you said that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Lord, I rejoice that that was true 2,000 years ago and that is just as true today, that you desire to forgive sins and to save. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ, God, that you will just remind us, Lord, of what it means to count the cost, what it really means to be a Christian, and Lord, as, as the world around us, you know, by their actions, they, they throw off your yoke. They say you will not be king over us, Father, that we will stand as a light, as a testimony for you. I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit you put within our hearts that gives us the strength, the encouragement, the conviction, Father, the reminder to do this, this in the face of a world that is lost. God, I pray that you will just make this week one of a real reflection for us as we come to the Last Supper, as we come to the crucifixion, and then ultimately as we come to your victory through the resurrection. We thank you in thy son's name we pray.
Yeah.